You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop. Very excited to have Ramiro Diaz with me today. He is with Wagner and Ball. He is a senior project designer. Ramiro, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so, so I'm really, really excited to talk to you uh, because of your firm's approach to architecture, if you will, landscape architecture and projects. Really fascinating. Uh, you'll do a better job explaining it than I. So could you, could you talk about your firm? Um, yeah, so we're, we, we started out as a traditional architecture firm, um, did a little bit of urban planning work, um, but when Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina, um, sort of our response to it was to rethink what our role is in, in, in this kind of fragile landscape of Louisiana and um, have shifted the practice quite a bit towards um, this living with water approach of design, um, thinking about every project, whether it's a building or a uh, you know, urban design project or, or park design project as part of the landscape and part of the, the sort of history of the place as well as the geology and the um, sort of, you know, ecology of the place. And so um, we've been doing a, a variety of projects around the country now um, that are embracing water and dealing with resilience and climate change and sea level rise and um, sort of helping communities um, face that that future, um, mm. and, and maybe looking to the past to learn about their their future um, and to reimagine, you know, and reconnect people with water. Yeah, so you guys you guys do a variety of different projects. You'll do you'll do buildings, you'll do parks, you'll do mm -hmm. other types of landscape work and all that. Huh? But this this living with water approach really, like you said, came out of Katrina and the realization that you have to be more integrated with with water, with nature, be able to be resilient in not distancing yourself from it, but almost allowing it to be part of a project, part of a place? Yeah, I think it, I think it came really in direct response to Katrina and to the sort of Army Corps of Engineers um, thinking and, and history of New Orleans. Um, you know, whether it was, you know, of course, Katrina, we were right after that, we were responding to storm surge uh, threat. You know, we had this incredible failure of our levee system um, that, you know, we didn't even imagine that as being a possibility. Um, we'd walled off the ocean. We'd walled off the, mm. the water around us and forgot that we were a water city. Um, and after Katrina, the the response was to fix that levee system, um, of course, right? Yeah. Um, not not to rethink it or to maybe change the shape of it. It would put one back exactly in the place it was, bigger and, and stronger. Um, but what was not considered was the, the other threats. Um, it wasn't a, a holistic kind of response to to Katrina. It was, it was just whatever the last disaster was, was what we responded to. Um, so we realized that, uh, that our actually bigger threat in New Orleans or, or kind of chronic threat was um, from rainfall mm. and these incredible rain events that we have around New Orleans and the, the damage from those flood events, which happen regularly, um, you know, in the long run are actually maybe more of a threat to the city than, than these storm surge events um, or, or a different type of threat. Yeah. Um, and so this sort of systems approach to, um, you know, urban design and, and thinking about how you inhabit the city um, kind of led to this approach. We brought, uh, very soon after Katrina, um, our, our principal, David Wagner, went to the Netherlands with um, uh, 
uh, Senator Mary Landrieu, who was one of our clients. Um, we had done her house in D.C. Um, and so they were friends, and, and she brought him to, to the Netherlands with a with delegation of folks from Louisiana. And David made a whole bunch of connections in the Netherlands with thought leaders there um, and was really impressed with their approach. Um, you know, of course, the, the Americans and the, the, the Louisianans went looking at the, the flood protection. Um, what David realized was that flood protection was, was more than just walls um, and dikes um, and surge barriers. Um, they really think about water um, at all levels and all scales, whether it's groundwater or um, you know, rain management, um, river rain management, you know, the, the managing every single type of water. Um, there was no line between, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers system and the, you know, municipal water system. It's all considered there. And in fact, the, the democracy uh, of, of the Netherlands was born out of their water boards. Hmm. So their water boards were people working together to defend them, their land from the sea and to reclaim the sea. And that was the start of their democracy. So we, we found that to be really interesting and intriguing and, and a different approach. Um, to how they thought about water and also water as a value proposition. Like people want to be near water. People want to live next to water. And, and what we realized is that in, in New Orleans, we'd walled it off. We'd buried it. We'd hidden it. Um, people didn't know there used to be canals all over the city of New Orleans. There used to be more water. Um, and in kind of putting the water underground and, and hiding it, and we forgot about it. Um, we, we didn't even realize there was a threat uh, from, you know, storm surge. Um, and, uh, you know, how you manage infrastructure and pay for it long term um, and have ownership of it. Right. We can't always be reliant on the federal government or some other you know, group to manage our, our city. Um, so how do we build value in a city that's recovering from a disaster? Um, and so we saw water as a, a way of uh, kind of reimagining the city. Um, bringing back historic waterways in the city and um, living with water as in living next to it, living with <laughs> it, embracing the risk from it, um, recognizing the risk, right? Because water, it's, it's, it, we have this mindset that we can manage everything and control everything. Um, and at a certain point, you can't, mm. you shouldn't. And that's hubris. And, and, um, and that was the mistake we had made in the past in New Orleans with the flood control system um and we and our water system our drainage system is was much the same way i mean for a hundred years the surgeon water board you know told us that we were safe from rain and um that they could they were going to pump every inch of rain that fell on the city of new orleans um and it just can't it can't be done there's not too much rain for that <laughs> approach to work so um so we've been working to to kind of re-envision the city um in, that, in, in a different way um how do you how do you do that then? You, you you talked about going to the Netherlands and seeing that it's not just flood protection; it's these other types of projects, and you know, thinking about groundwater, thinking about waterways that should be there. How do you, if it's not just pumps and levees and all that, how do you take a city like New Orleans or like these cities in the Netherlands that have similar issues? How do you design to let water be part of that? city then um in a way that's not gonna damage you know it's gonna prevent the damage hopefully prevent right. the flooding all that kind of thing right so so in new orleans it's really easy to do a, a kind of comparison hmm. uh because as i was saying we we put our drainage canals underground in culverts and, and box you know box culverts and um and or they're behind walls 
um, uh, they're they're not part of the city. In the Netherlands, their drainage systems are part of the city. There, that people live alongside them. All those canals in Amsterdam, they're not just pretty. They're they're there to manage water. Um, they're there for commerce. Um, the, you know, they, there were navigation canals. There were also drainage canals. They uh, they they use the canals in the Netherlands and the, the waterways to manage subsidence. Um, the groundwater balance is really important there. Um, and these were all things that we didn't know about or forgot about um, in our landscape. Um, so if you imagine uh, investing in a place like in New Orleans, for example, the, the Lafitte Greenway um, was a project that, that came from the community. Um, folks discovered that there was this weird right-of-way in the middle of the city that went from the French Quarter north to the Bayou St. John. And it was a rail corridor. Um, well, before it was a rail corridor, it was a navigation canal. Mm. And the navigation canal connected the back of the French Quarter to the Bayou St. John, which then gave you access to Lake Pontchartrain and, and a way to, to, to have commerce in the city. Um, so that was one of our signature projects in the, the Greater New Orleans Urban Water Plan, was bringing back, proposing to bring back that canal as a, um, a way to stimulate um, the economy around it. Um, it, would, it was kind of like the High Line in New York. Mm. It's, a, it's an area that was very industrial and, and under, under um, invested in um, previously. Um, and so imagine this kind of rail corridor and navigation corridor becoming a uh, stormwater feature in the city where people could kayak from the French Quarter all the way to mm. City Park and Lake Pontchartrain um, or ride their bike. And oh, by the way, it stores 70 acre feet of stormwater um, that otherwise would have to be pumped out of the city. So is that, that, that a, was the type of project that we, you know, we 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 put forward as a value proposition. Right? Is that they, is that operational now? Like if uh, you can go kayak it or not yet? No, not no, no, no. They they did build the greenway. Um, okay, but it was one of the projects we proposed as a demonstration mm. project. There are other projects in the urban water plan that are underway now. Okay, um, but I'm not giving up on that one because it's just <laughs> it's just too good of an idea, and so. Uh, we're hoping that with, you know, in response to the flooding we've been having in New Orleans, um, downtown, that um, this this green space, this right-of-way, it's still there. The city controls it. It's it's a pretty big, long piece of land, and we can do a lot with it. Mm. Um, uh, the other project that uh, for, that was in the urban water plan um, that is going forward and, and should be breaking ground soon is called the uh, Mirabu Water Garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a 25-acre site in Gentilly. Uh, which is a neighborhood uh, northeast of the French Quarter, uh, sort of a suburban neighborhood. It was a, uh, it was previously a convent, and it had never really been developed. the The neighborhood around it was formerly swamp, that was reclaimed with the drainage system and turned into suburban scale housing in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. Um, but this site always remained as this kind of big parcel that the nuns had their convent on and, and had a Montessori school. Um, it flooded during Katrina, and then as they were starting to rebuild, it, it got hit by lightning and burned. Um, and the sisters were, were kind of a uh, were already pulling back. They weren't they weren't going to be uh, operating as a traditional convent anymore. So they they were inspired by our work, and um, they connected with David Wagner, and and we worked with them to over several years now to give the land to the city or or to um, they're leasing the land to the city. And we were able to help the city get a hazard mitigation grant from FEMA to develop this site as a stormwater park. Mm. So it will take water from the drainage system with a little tiny pump um, during big rain events and fill up this 25-acre site with um, stormwater. Um, and when it's not acting as a stormwater uh, detention basin, it will be a, um, a park for the community in the neighborhood. 
And um, we're also going to uh, reestablish some of the um, previous landscapes that were there. So it used to be a bottomland hardwood forest. So we're going to plant the bottom of the basin with swamp cypresses and pines and other trees that'll suck up the water um, after a rain event Um, and, you know, create, create more habitat for birds and other creatures that otherwise would have been there before we got there. Yeah. And and this is, and this is like, you know, in the city, right? This is, this is, it's so cool to see these kind of things happen. Um, I know there's like a big crazy thing happened in Mexico city, I think. Um, but it's awesome to see a, a, a project like this go into an, or a, you know, a totally urban area and be a community benefit, be a water management resource and all that stuff. That's, that's great. What's the, what's the timeline for that? So, um, (laughs) it's a good question. Um, it, it's ready to go. So it's ready to go out to bid. And I think between, uh, the COVID stuff mm-hmm. going on, as well as we had a, a really bad cyber attack on the city of new Orleans back mm-hmm. in December would that really stymied a lot of, a lot of things happening in the city. Um, yeah. so hopefully, um, I mean, it's, it's the drawings are at the city and it's all clear to FEMA now. So, um, hopefully it'll so, go out soon, but, but it's a, when you think of it as a value proposition though, like this is a $13 million project Mm. that's going to do a tremendous amount of flood protection, uh, for the, for the community, as well as all the other benefits, the the benefits of the the natural system that we're creating in this neighborhood and the, the, the trails and the educational features. Um, when you think about the other types of, you know, gray infrastructure, the big canal improvements that we've made in the city, this is going to store more water than things that cost, you know, many, many times more, um, using traditional, you know, large scale, um, kind of underground drainage, um, canals. Um, with that said, we still need the large underground drainage canals, but this is a additional uh, benefit, uh, storage that takes the water out of the system, you know, on the higher ground before it has to go to the pump, which is pretty far away. Sure. Sure. Um, one thing, you know, when, when Katrina happened, you know, just being at a distance, you know, I'm like, do you rebuild New Orleans? Like if, if these mega storms are going to keep coming and you've got sea level rise from climate change and, you know, you've got the subsidence issues and, you know, it's like, do you make New Orleans into a Venice? You know, how do you let the water just be there? And, um, it's a, so I've just kind of wondered about all of, all of that. And I guess the, the, the the decision is we're going to go forward and we're going to, take more of this embracing water approach. Yeah, I think so. New Orleans is a little different than other places. But I mean, there's a few areas of, of Louisiana that have a similar condition, but we're a polder. We're, we're just like the Netherlands, right? We, we live behind dikes, um, levees, and we have to manage the water inside of that levee system. Um, so when you build the levee around a community, you end up inducing subsidence because you have to drain within that that levee system our soils are mucky and soft and organic and the more you drain the more it subsides um so that is one of the biggest reasons why you know we look to the dutch for this approach of like let's let's bring these canals back and let's bring back surface water and let's manage our groundwater because it's 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 a you know existential threat that we're you know we're sinking we're (laughs) we're we're flooding by rain and we got to pump everything out um or well that's the strategy in the past is pump everything. We, we hope to change that. Um, it's very different from other places we're working where you don't yet have that flood protection system. Mm. Right. So we, we've been very cautious to tell people don't 
don't copy New Orleans, right? We don't, you know, if if you're going to build a a flood wall, you need to recognize all of the trade-offs and the the challenges we've had in Louisiana. Um, So in Norfolk, for example, where, you know, we are doing a a berm around a community, um, but the berm is very low and it's not promising 100% protection. Um, It's going to reduce flooding. Um, We worked very hard to not only maintain the existing kind of wetlands that are, would be behind this flood protection system, but we're actually trying to make more um, and use those wetlands as the, um, or, or waterways as the sort of storage basin before the pump mm. so that the water goes there first. Um, and, um, and also just recognize that, that tidal flooding and, and sort of the issues in, in where you are and in, in, in the Carolinas and Virginia is very different from new Orleans. Mm. Um, you know, New Orleans, we we are behind a wall now. So sea level rise is it's on the other side of the wall, <laughs> right? So we keep building the wall higher, um, uh, and we need to protect our wetlands that protect us. You know, the buffer wetlands around us. But um, but it's a very different case than than coastal Virginia or coastal Carolinas or Florida, where you have that conjunction of tidal flooding and um, rain at the same time, where your your drainage pipes are full of seawater now because they're because of sea level rise and there's nowhere for the rain to go mm-hmm. and building a wall around, you know, I mean, if you can't even imagine doing it in a new Orleans approach in places like Charleston or, or others where, you know, I mean, you could do downtown Charleston, but the, 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 all, you know, John's Island and James Island, all that stuff. I mean, there's just, the perimeters are just so big. Mm-hmm. You can't even imagine and the cost of the drains, the flood system in new Orleans. I mean, we're, we're talking about, I think 14 or 15 billion dollars to repair repair it after Katrina and then we have we have the ongoing maintenance every year of you know hundreds of millions of dollars of maintenance we need a tax base to support that Mm -hmm. sure um you know it's 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 expensive proposition (laughs) as you're in these other uh areas or even in New Orleans then with climate change coming and the different water impacts it has you know uh intense precipitation stronger hurricanes, sea level rise. So how do you guys, how does that affect your design knowing that things are going to be different in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? How, how do you kind of look down the road? Well, just by doing that, we look down the road. I mean, you, yeah. And you don't know, I mean, a lot of times you design to whatever, um, you know, baseline you're, you're trying to reach. And the challenge is, is constantly pushing the the, um, the community or the the stakeholders to recognize that they need to be thinking further out than just the you know oh well the army corps says it's okay to be you know we're only going to do one and a half feet of sea level rise or three feet of sea level rise by the time you do the design drawings the models have changed and now it's six feet so <laughs> um, so we've been brutally honest with our um, graphics and, and outreach to show what the impacts of you know six feet of sea level rise on Hampton Roads would look like. Um, or four feet of sea level. I mean, four and a half feet was the kind of accepted worst case scenario from the, the regional planning commission and, and around Norfolk and Hampton and Chesapeake. And when you put that on a map and then show what that does to, if you just take the, um, the current base flood elevation and we're not doing any modeling here, this is just GIS, you know, mm-hmm. kind of wizardry. Um, you, you, you start to project out what that means for the floodplain. Uh, you end up with, the entire community being in a hundred year floodplain um, where right now there's people like, well, I've never flooded before. Well, you haven't flooded before, but <laughs> you may in the future. And um, how do we, how do we start to prepare for that? And how do we 
reimagine the cities that we're working in to not only embrace the water's edge or, or be smarter about how you embrace the water's edge, but think about where you have stronger backbones, the the high ground of the city, and and start to think about how you encourage investment in those places. So in Norfolk or Hampton, you know, there's higher ground. Uh, We're jealous of their high ground, Louisiana. They're they're 13 feet above sea level (laughs) instead of of 13 feet below sea level or whatever it might be. Um, And so, but they tend to, ironically, they tend to be the areas that aren't as developed, right? We Mm. we always develop to the water's edge. Mm. So how do you encourage... um, reinvestment and maybe start to push the downtown focus a little bit away from the water or, or find other ways to invest. In a yeah. And, and a look for multiple benefits too, right? So you're, you know, if you're, there's a road that connects uh, NASA Langley to downtown Hampton. Um, well, maybe that road becomes some sort of, you know, raised causeway that also helps with storm surge. Um, you know, that, that could be an approach. Mm. Um, and, and that would be a, a smart investment to, you know, make that connection to the air force base, which is the big job center there and to downtown. And then you get the benefit of protecting the community behind it. Um, so looking for those multiple benefits and not just singular one use kind of work sure. kind of all around a community. Sure. Um, As, uh, as your work kind of becomes more known that your, your firm's work and as, uh, communities are looking more and more at, at doing more with water, you know, especially these coastal kind of communities. Um, are you just finding more, more people knocking on your door and trying to get ideas for how they can take similar approaches? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot more, uh, when we started this road 10, what, wait, 15 years ago now, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. 15 years ago, um, you know, it was like we were we were the um, we were proselytizing and, and educating um, and trying to you know go out there and say, hey, we need to do this differently. Um, now I feel like it's it's, it's everybody's mm-hmm. now uh, finding that we need to think about resilience in a different way, and, and there's a lot more projects out there around the country, around the world mm-hmm. uh, that recognize um, this resilience approach, and I think the um, the hundred, the hundred RC, the hundred resilient city, um, mm. Rockefeller, um, foundation thing was, was useful in that because there were 101 cities that had to go through this resilience review process, um, uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the federal government is, has, has been doing more. Um, FEMA is now starting to recognize that they need to do, um, proactive measures instead of reactive, um, you know, the hazard mitigation funding type projects could be, a uh, better way to spend money than to just chase after the flood after <laughs> afterwards, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and HUD, you know these these um, the National Disaster Resilience Grant uh, competition um, that the Obama administration started. The, those projects are now coming into fruition. Right. So the, the one in Norfolk and New Orleans had Louisiana, a bunch of different places we've been working. Uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, mm. We helped those communities craft that competition entry to then get the federal money. Um, and now we're continuing to work with them to, to develop those plans. When you do these type of projects, there's like a lot of stakeholders involved, right? Different levels of government, different community groups, landowners, yada, yada, yada. Um, how, how does, how does that go? How's that, how's that process work? And <laughs> yeah, what, I have to be honest. We're, we're a little bit, um, 
anarchic um, with that. Um, we had we this and this comes out of our experience with Katrina. So we the, the big the other part of the story. Not only did David go to the Netherlands, but he brought the Dutch back. Mm. So we brought all these Dutch collaborators to New Orleans to work with us um, on what was called the Dutch Dialogues. Um, it was a it was some of the first money that was spent on planning um, uh, New Orleans um, and. It was funded by the, the American Planning Association as well as the Royal Dutch Embassy. So the, the Royal, the, so, so the Dutch paid for it um, along with a bunch of locals and, and um, our firm. Um, but we brought together all of these um, Dutch and American planners and, and engineers and scientists and architects and landscape architects as well as local stakeholders that, you know, like Surgeon Water Board and others to, to work together and to, to charrette. Um, to work in a room, draw. It was messy. Um, there was a lot of chaotic stuff going on. Um, and uh, for two or three days, we did this pressure cooker approach of getting all these people in a room together and just reimagining New Orleans um, and uh, had great results. Mm. Um, and visionary ideas came out of it that, that really upset the, the status quo. Right? So it was this you know, why, why can't you do that? I mean, the Dutch were the Dutch the whole time. were like, where's the water? Why, why, do, why can't I go to the water? You know, what is the, why is, why have you hidden all your water? Um, so, so that Dutch dialogues, uh, resulted in the funding later for the urban water plan, which then has resulted in these projects. And now the, 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 um, NDRC, um, but that approach with the, with the, that we kind of organically came about through the Dutch dialogues, we have been doing on every project um, these kind of uh, charrettes that can be dangerous a little bit because you get a bunch of people in a room together and you know you never know what's going to come out of it and and it makes the client very nervous. But um, but it works um, and and we usually get really great results in a very short period of time with people that are um, you know very talented come come to these and and we um, we just draw. Get messy. We, start, we get our, we we measure progress and how much tracing paper we go through and how messy our hands get. Um, and and but it, it's a great way to bring people in. Um, so we you know we bring in the stakeholders that the that the, the city um, and the local leaders who work with them to to develop that list of people. You know different agents, people from different agencies, um, and and then we um, you know we open it up to the community um, selectively. Uh, and then we have, a, then we usually have a presentation at the end and, and something with the community and, and get them engaged. Um, but because it's a little bit of a messy process, you, you need to make sure that there's a little bit of separation from, you know, this is usually community leaders that we bring in or people that, you know, that, that are really involved in the neighborhood or, um, and then, and then we do a more public process later. Um, but the, um, but getting everybody at the table and getting everybody's noses pointed at the right direction, that's like a Dutch term, um, <laughs> Is and also make sure everybody recognizes they're in the same boat, right? We're all working together, and and um, you know the folks that have been comfortable with their traditional civil engineering approach for the last fifty years, mm. you know, getting them to work with these you know, naive Dutch landscape architects <laughs> that are like, well, why can't you do that? You know, and, um, has been really successful. So that's been a lot of fun, um, and 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 it's been successful. Yeah. Um, most cases and, and presenting a vision, I think is an, I mean, just making really nice drawings that get people excited about what they can, they can read into um, how they want the space to be. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that was what the the drawing of uh, you know the illustration of the uh, Mirabeau Water Garden there in New Orleans is, is one of the things that first caught my attention and led me to kind of reach out to you guys. It's like seeing those illustrations. I'm like, yes, that's what I want in my community. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think um, on that community benefits thing? I mean, how much do people really value that side? You know, aside from the stormwater management and all that kind of thing, just like bringing nature back into these urban areas and, and the, the beauty and the, the place to go exercise and whatever it might be. I mean, that's, that, that's one of the that's, things that excites me so much. Yeah. It's not a hard sell. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, not at all. Cool. I mean, I think that's where, you know, people, um, people get most excited about oh. the, you know, I want to, I want a boardwalk. I want a trail, but if we can say this is a, this is a flood management project, this is a coastal restoration project, or this is a, you know, and Oh, by the way, we're getting, you know, this other benefit that's going to, you know, bring more fish and more birds. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're doing a project in city park in new Orleans, which is huge. It's 1300 acres. And we convinced them to, uh, allow us to, um, introduce flood water into the park mm. from sort of the neighborhoods around it. So it's going to help adjacent neighborhoods. Um, but, but the result of this FEMA project, which is, you know, FEMA is very narrowly focused on disaster or flood reduction. Um, well, we're going to have to do some ecological um, improvements to this lake system because we're going to be introducing flood water into it. So we have to clean it. We have to purify it. Um, the lakes all need to be dredged um, because they've silted in over the years. And we were going to create shelves that increase water storage first, hmm. right? So that so we, we'll, we'll take this, you know, kind of lake that has edges like this and start to hmm. lay out the edges and create wetland banks and terraces and well, those, those are going to be for stormwater benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but actually we're going to be creating tons of new, you know, habitat for fish and birds and it's going to beautify the, the lagoons. It's going to provide opportunities for people to kayak through these lagoons. And, um, we're going to get rid of all the, the places where it's been choked down and there's just a little tiny culvert to connect these lakes. Well, mm-hmm. we're going to open those up and create a way for you to kayak through the whole park and, it's a lot easier to get people to get excited about the kayaking part than the <laughs> stormwater part. Um, but, yeah. but knowing, but in New Orleans, everybody recognizes we flood all the time and that, you know, everyone's upset about that. So, um, it's a nice mix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the benefits, the multiple benefits, it, it's not a hard sell. And the more we do this work, the more we recognize that heat, um, heat, heat urban heat Island and, um, the, the challenges related to that, um, urban health, you know, but just public health related to, you know, of course, now with COVID and being out, being able to go outside is, um, you know, city park has never been busier in New Orleans. Mm. Um, but, you know, shade and water quality and air quality and all these things are go hand in hand with tree canopy. And the tree canopy helps with our groundwater and it helps with our flooding. And, you know, so all of these things work together. It's not just water. Yeah. Absolutely. Looking at all of these factors. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, well, I, I actually live about a block from a 17-acre stormwater area that is the, the, exactly like you described. It has a couple like couple different terraces. Uh, we've had pounding rains the past couple of days. I walked over there this morning because I want to see how high up the water had come on those those different areas. But it's also got you know a little half mile or so trail through there. People walking, mm-hmm. biking, but it just it manages all the water in the neighborhood. So it's good stuff. Um, well, I can't wait to uh, to get down to New Orleans at some point and uh, and mm-hmm. check check out some of these spots and hopefully some of the projects have come along further. I'll uh, I'll look to connect with you and uh, and get out there and check it out. But uh, Ramiro, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Sure, of course, it was great. Thank you for inviting me.
You're in the water loop. <laughs>